Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Good morning, everyone. I uh, just want to welcome you all here at Central Campus and also those of you who are joining us online. Uh, and those of you who are meeting together at uh, one of our other regionals in Airdrie, in Bridgeland, South Calgary, and also the Crofa Theatres in Northwest Calgary. Well, with this being Grey Cup weekend, I know it's on a number of your minds, uh, I'm reminded of a story by John Cassis, who was one of the inspirational leaders of the Chicago Bears during their glory years about 20 years ago. Mike Ditka, the coach of the Chicago Bears, he was about to give a pep talk to the team just before a big game. And he looked up and he saw defensive tackle uh, William Perry, known as Refrigerator Perry at that time, uh, from everyone in the league, uh, because at 338 pounds, he stood out even among uh, NFL pro players. Uh, Mike gestured to Refrigerator Perry, and he said, when I get finished with my talk, I'd like you to close with the Lord's Prayer. Meanwhile, Jim McMahon... Uh, he was the brash, outspoken quarterback of the Bears. Uh, he poked Cassis and he said, look at Perry. I'll bet he doesn't even know the Lord's Prayer. And Cassis looked over and sure enough, Perry just had this look of panic on his face and was sweating profusely. <clears throat> he whispered back to McMahon and said, you're not serious. I mean, everybody knows the Lord's Prayer. McMahon said, I'll bet you 50 bucks he doesn't. Well, when the coach finished his pep talk, he asked all the men to stand and to remove their caps. And then he nodded at Perry and bowed his head. It was quiet for a few moments before Perry finally spoke in a shaky voice. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Cassus felt a tap on his shoulder. It was Jim McMahon. Well, all be, said, I had no idea. He knew the Lord's Prayer. Here's your 50 bucks. <laughs> True story, I'm told. There's a lot of confusion around the Lord's Prayer these days, and my sense is that similar to Refrigerator Perry, a large percentage of our society do not know what the Lord's Prayer is, much less uh, what it means. In our Christianity 101 series, we've been learning what the Bible has to say about prayer, and presently we're learning how to pray through the model prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples in Matthew 6. And so I'm going to invite you to stand and to join me in reading this passage, the Lord's Prayer, together. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word and the example of Jesus, a man who prayed powerfully, so much so the disciples wanted to learn from him in terms of how to pray. I ask, Lord, that you would teach us how to pray today. I pray that you would um, focus our minds, you would soften our hearts, and you give us the courage to respond in whatever way you'd have us to. For I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. 
Now, last time we covered the first three elements of this prayer, but that was some time ago, and so I'm going to review them quickly for you. Jesus says, when you pray, begin by praying, our Father. He uses the Aramaic word Abba here, which translated in today's vernacular means Daddy or Papa. He wants us to approach him the way a little girl comes to her earthly father, a father who makes her feel loved and accepted and special, a father she feels is safe approaching. When we humbly and sincerely approach our Heavenly Father, we must understand that He is so delighted in us coming to Him. He is our loving Father, and the imagery we see in the Scripture is that when we come to Him, His heart attitude is, this is my son. This is my daughter. I love it when they come to me and call me Father. Jesus says, we're to pray our Father in heaven. The Greek word for heaven here refers to the air that we breathe, which means when we talk to our Heavenly Father, we are not saying, our Father from a long time ago in a galaxy far away. No, we're not saying that. We're praying, our Father who is all around me. Because He is so close, because He is with me, I can speak to Him at any time. And I can speak to him about anything. There is no concern that I have. There is no matter how small that God does not care about. He invites us to come to him. Loves it when we do. Then Jesus said, pray, hallowed be your name. When I pray Father, I'm acknowledging that he's my daddy that he loves me, that he's with me. When I pray, hallowed be your name, I'm acknowledging that he is God and that I'm not. That he is holy and righteous and just. He's everything that I long to be. I'm very aware that I'm talking to the all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere-present God of the universe who is worthy of my full attention who is worthy of my utmost respect and adoration, and that nothing is impossible for him. Then Jesus says, pray your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our Father is our loving friend and our sovereign Lord, but he is also our king. He is a king of his kingdom. And he wants not only to rule in our lives, but also in this messed up world through our lives. This world is not the way that God intended it to be. The hatred, the terrorism, the wars, the abuse, the poverty that we hear about every day and that we see in our cities and around our world was not part of God's original plan for man. And the reason that there's no peace on earth is because there's no real peace in people's hearts. And Psalm 62, 1 says that people won't find true peace until they put their trust in God. Now, the Bible describes a day that is coming when God's kingdom will be established in its fullness. 
A time when there will be no more death or crying or pain or hunger or thirst. Wars and conflicts and abuse and human atrocities will cease. And there's a reason for that. Because at that time, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But God wants his peace to come to our hearts and our lives and to our world now. And so he calls us to pray, Lord, may your kingdom come now. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven now. May you bring real peace to people's hearts now. May your kingdom come to broken families and marriages now. May your kingdom come to our communities and to our cities and to our world now. And here's the thing. As more and more people surrender their lives to King Jesus and pray that his kingdom will come in them and through them, the more we will see God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now I should point out that this brings us to the midpoint of the Lord's Prayer. You see, the Lord's Prayer can be divided into two major sections. The first section focuses on the Lord. It focuses on His character. It focuses on His kingdom and His kingdom plans. That should always be the first priority in our praying. Focusing on the Lord and His kingdom purposes. The next three elements of the Lord's Prayer are about us. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In the time remaining, we're going to focus on just the first of those three. Jesus says we're to pray, give us today our daily bread. Now by bread, I believe Jesus is referring to the basic necessities of life, including water and food and clothes, shelter, but also health and meaningful relationships. Now, there are three things in this one-sentence prayer that are instructive to us, and we're going to look at them now. First of all, notice that Jesus did not say we're to pray, give me this day my daily bread. Now, he didn't say that. He said, give us this day our daily bread. So often when we pray about our needs and our wants, we, we pray for ourselves and for our families. You know, us four no more, bolt the door. But Jesus teaches us here to pray, give us this day our daily bread. We're to pray that God will meet not only our needs, but the needs of others as well. You know, every once in a while, someone will draw my attention to Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, which says, And my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And they will ask me, if this promise of God is true, then how do you explain the fact that there are so many people on this planet who still have significant needs? Well, that's a sermon in itself. But very quickly, one reason that there are needy people in this world is because of slothfulness or laziness on the part of some people. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6 to 10 
speaks to that issue and tells us that people who are unwilling to work, not unable to work, either because of physical limitations or because of a lack of job opportunities, so not unable to work but unwilling to work, this scripture tells us that they should not be given handouts by the church or by friends or even their families. But there's a second reason why there are needy people in the world, and that is because of selfishness and injustice. We live in a needy world because we live in a greedy world. It isn't that God hasn't provided the necessities we need to live. It's that too few people are sharing with others the abundance of what God already provides. When we ask our Heavenly Father to give us today our daily bread, we're acknowledging that all that we have is a gift from the gracious hand of God. Although God owns everything, He gives to us all that we have, including every breath, every heartbeat. It's a gift from God, folks. He gives us this amazing creation. I mean, haven't you enjoyed, particularly this last week, the beauty of our city and the surrounding area, the blue skies, the majestic mountains? I don't know if you haven't. I have. It's wonderful. He gives us the basic necessities of life, food, shelter, clothing, the gift of time, the gift of friendship and family, our talents, our spiritual gifts, our incredibly sophisticated bodies and minds that the best of human technology can't replicate. I mean, we're blessed, aren't we? Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're blessed, aren't we? Come on. My goodness. <laughs> and in return, God asks two things of us. First, that we would manage well what he's given to us. We can enjoy it, but he calls us to steward it well, not to waste it away. And secondly, he asks us to meet the needs of others by being generous with what he's given to us. You see, God not only gives to us, but he wants to give through us to meet the needs of other people. God gives you some time and talents and money and possessions, and he gives me some time and talent and money and possessions. Sometimes he gives to you what I need, and he gives to me what you need. And unlike our earthly economy, the way God wants his kingdom economy to work is for us to share with one another the things that he has generously supplied us with. God wants us to be the conduit of his love and his grace and kindness. He's counting on you and me to be his hands and feet, to meet the needs of others around us. Now, as long as we hold things loosely, as long as we're generous with others, God's kingdom will come to earth. We're going to see a little bit of heaven begin to show up on this planet. On the other hand, the moment that we stop trusting God to provide our needs, the moment we start saying things like, this is mine, and we hold on to it and refuse to let it go, and we start, start stockpiling more than we need, we stop being generous, and we get greedy, our world will start getting needy.
and God's kingdom economy will begin to break down. That is why 1 Corinthians 4.2, Paul reminds us, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. And so when we share our time, our talents, our money, when we share our lives and our friendship with one another and we're generous with what God has given to us, we actually are answering the prayers of those who are praying, Lord, give us today our daily bread. Lord, give me a friend because I'm feeling so alone. Furthermore, I want you to notice that Jesus told us to pray, give us today our daily bread. He didn't say, give us today our bread for a whole year. No, he said, give us our daily bread, enough for the day. In Exodus 16, when God first provided the Israelites with manna, He specifically told them to take only enough for the day. Of course, there were some who figured they needed to take more for the day. Maybe we're making manna bread, I don't know. Manna splits. (laughs) Frozen manna. Fried manna. Not sure what the reason was, but they took more than what they needed for the day. And the next morning, the extra manna they had stored was filled with maggots. It was God's way of saying, I want you to focus only on what you need for today and to trust me with tomorrow. Now, this doesn't mean that God has a problem with us making plans. It doesn't mean that It's wrong to save some money for a rainy day or making provisions for the future because we see other passages in the Scripture that that call us to do that. What God doesn't want us to do is to stockpile so much food or so much money, so much stuff that we stop relying on Him daily for our basic needs. And we forget about the fact that all that we have is from Him. And it's easy to do that in this particular country that we live in. One couple that I read about here decided that they were going to see how long they could feed themselves from the food that was in their freezer, in their fridge, and in their pantry. Now, some of the meals got a bit sketchy toward the end, a lot of macaroni and cheese and stuff. But they survived on what they just had in their house for the better part of three to four months. You see, folks, we live in a country where we have more food than we need. And if we're honest, most of us eat far more than we need. And we waste more food than some people will ever eat. I remember serving at a banquet in the United States at a university. And the plates of food that was left over all over the place and it all got dumpstered. I mean, there was a ton of food. I mean, I just couldn't believe it. Just from that one event, 
There was like a ton of food that ended up being thrown out. And that's happening all over the Western world. When we go grocery shopping, some of us tend to purchase far more food than we need. And some of it goes bad. We end up throwing it in the garbage. Tons of food wasted. And you've probably noticed that food's expensive these days. One of our, the biggest aspects of our budget. And you see, if we were better stewards, if we made a decision to be better stewards on this area, we'd free up, just as individuals or families, we'd free up hundreds and hundreds of dollars every year to feed those who don't even get one decent meal a day. In 1 John 2, the Lord warns us about not loving the world and the things of the world. Points out that our enemy will try to defeat us in three areas, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. When we think of the lust of the flesh, immediately our thoughts go to sexual sin. And that is a, that's a big deal. But too often we turn a blind eye to our lust for food and our tendency to overconsume and to waste food. And yet, interestingly, all through Scripture, we see food as one of the greatest sources of sin. In Genesis 3, 6, it says that Adam and Eve's life-changing sin happened when they saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. And then there was Esau. He came in from hunting and he was famished and he just couldn't wait for a meal to prepare. He was starving. You see, God had become, his stomach had become his God. And so he gave up his birthright for a bowl of stew. And let's not forget about the Israelites, who I referred to a moment ago, after God set them free from 400 years of slavery. While making their way through the wilderness, we read again and again that they grumbled and complained. Do you remember what they grumbled about a lot? Food. Their tummies got a little hungry and like little children, they were ready to, to throw away their freedom and go back to slavery in Egypt so they could enjoy a pot of leeks and onions and garlic and some fish scraps thrown in. Mmm. Can't wait for dinner. You see, their God was their stomach. I also find it interesting that in Matthew 4, the first temptation Satan attacked Jesus with was turn these stones into bread. All that to say that even though we typically don't talk about this much, food is one of the greatest temptations and sources of sin. And so when we pray, give us our daily bread, we're saying, Lord, help me to eat to live rather than live to eat. Help me not to be, help me not to be content. Help me to be content with my daily portion and to not make food the focus of my day. Help me to find my satisfaction in you and not in food. 
or in alcohol or in illicit sex or any other lust of the flesh or lust of the eye. You see, contentment is that place of inner freedom that says, I'm satisfied. In Christ, I have all that I need to be content and to find peace in my present circumstances. And so Jesus says, pray for your daily bread. Ask God to help you to be grateful and satisfied for providing what you need today. And then thirdly, notice Jesus says we're to pray, give us today our daily bread. He's saying when you pray this, you are asking God to help you to live fully in the moment of this day. To be grateful for today and for his blessings in your life today and not to worry about tomorrow. In Matthew 6, 25, Jesus challenges us not to worry. And at the end of his teaching on worry, we read in verse 34, he says this, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Now, life is filled with uncertainty. A life-altering accident, a job loss, a devastating medical report, a foreclosure notice, a rebellious child. I mean, these are just a few of the uncertainties we face in life, and these things can lead to debilitating anxiety. Well, when Jesus teaches us here to pray, give us today our daily bread, he's telling us not to let these fears about tomorrow and the future destroy us living fully today. In Matthew 6, 27, Jesus asks, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? He's saying worry is useless. It, it brings no benefits of any kind. Your worry will not pay the bills or keep you from losing your job. Your worry won't bring your teenager home safely on those icy roads. Your worry won't make you any younger. Your worry will not get rid of the cancer. In fact, it'll wear down your immune system even more. Worry accomplishes nothing, is what Jesus is saying in this passage. I mean, if you can do something to resolve the issue that's troubling you, well, then do it. But if you can't change things, then don't fume over it or fret over it. No, face the facts, decompress, relax in the Lord, and enjoy the life you do have. Live each day to the fullest. For this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice in it and be glad in it. Amen? This is the day the Lord has made. When we say, when we pray, give us today our daily bread, we're asking, Lord, help me to live fully in the moment today and to trust you with the concerns of tomorrow. Now, the reality is worry is a weakness of the flesh. And we cannot conquer it solely on our own. I mean, let me ask you, 
have you ever really tried not to worry? How's that working for you? I assume not very well because you can't stop worrying simply by saying, I'm not going to worry. It must be done through the power of God. In Philippians 4, 6, the Apostle Paul makes a connection between worry and prayer. And this is what he writes. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, in this passage, Paul gives two antidotes to anxiety. First of all, he says, peace comes to those who pray about everything. The next time you find yourself anxious about not having enough money to pay the bills, or the next time you feel insecure or incompetent, instead of worrying about it, start praying instead. You see, our job is is not to try to make anxious feelings go away. I mean, maybe they'll go away, maybe they won't, but we can't control that, and don't beat yourself up over it. When anxiety steals over you, take that anxiety to the Lord in prayer, and you can do that. You can turn to worship music. You can pull out a Bible. You can read or sing or recite praises and promises back to God. You can affirm that our God reigns. You can call up a friend. You can share your concern with them. You can pray together. You, you can get up and serve someone who's hurting much more than you are. You can get engaged in a ministry that's impacting the lives of people who are hurting. And of course, you can bring your concerns to God in prayer. It doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out prayer. It may be, but it doesn't have to be. What's important is that you take it to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I'm full of anxiety over this right now. And I realize that there's nothing I can do. And I know that it's, it's, it, you know, it's useless to worry about it. And so I'm bringing it to you, Lord. I'm placing it in your hands. I'm letting go. I'm asking you to do what I can't do. You see, worry is not the direct product of my circumstances. Rather, worry is the direct product of my beliefs and convictions. I mean, how is it that two people can be facing the exact same crisis, and yet one will be calm and assured, and the other will jump off an office tower? You see, worry reflects our beliefs and our convictions. The reason that we worry is because we're convinced that our problem is bigger than our God. Let me remind you that when Paul wrote this passage here in Philippians, life was not exactly going really well for him. He was in prison, facing execution. Every day he got up, He woke up with the realization that this could be his last hour or his last day. And yet, he was at peace. 
I mean, he wrote, do not be anxious about anything while he was in that prison and facing that reality. I mean, how is that possible? Because he was convinced that the eternal, all-powerful God was next to him in that cell. He was convinced that he was loved by God, that he was not alone. And that's all that mattered to him. You see, peace comes in knowing that our Lord remains constant in a world that's spinning out of control. The fact is, God is more than capable of handling any problem that concerns me today. I mean, creating the universe isn't a problem for him. Neither is raising the dead or calming the sea. Nothing's too difficult for him to handle, but he's waiting for us to recognize him and his power and ask for his help. Genuine prayer is based on the knowledge that God is absolutely faithful. And he has been faithful in the past and he will be faithful in the future. The Apostle Paul put it this way in 2 Timothy 1. I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Notice Paul says he's convinced that God is able to guard what he's entrusted to him. In other words, God doesn't promise to keep what we haven't committed to him. You see, whatever you hold on to, be it your career, be it your finances, be it a relationship, you know, just say, God, stay out of this relationship. Stay out of my finances. Stay out of my business. Don't touch my kids. Whatever you hang on to and lug around and don't commit to God in prayer will be the source of your greatest frustration and anxiety. On the other hand, Romans 8.28 says, whatever you surrender and give to God in prayer, He will work all things out for your ultimate good and for His ultimate glory in His time and His way. And when you do, <coughs> excuse me, you'll experience His peace and contentment. Paul says, peace comes to those who pray about everything. And then he adds, peace comes to those who are thankful in all circumstances. Notice Paul doesn't say we're to be thankful for all circumstances because some circumstances are just evil and wrong and ugly. He says we're to be thankful in all circumstances. Pastor Mark Mitchell tells about an old school friend named Ardell. When Ardell was 40, she was married and she had two sons. But then she suffered a stroke that completely debilitated her. She lost full function of her legs, full function of one arm, and she can barely move her left arm. Ardell cannot lift her head except with great effort, and she can't speak. Her mind is sharp and very clear. She communicates through just a faint nod of her head while looking at you, or moving her left arm very slowly across an electric word board that she has as a tray across her wheelchair. 
On her word board are almost 150 different words or phrases like thank you or praise the Lord or I need something. And she'll point to whatever it is. If there isn't a word or a phrase on her board, she'll spell it out very slowly with one finger and a lot of effort. Whenever Brad would visit his hometown, he made a point of dropping by to see his longtime friend. At the time he told this story, Ardell was now in her 50s, 10 years after her stroke. Her husband died a few years earlier. Her children no longer come to see her. She is totally dependent on the care of the nursing home in which she lives. Brad went on to share her testimony, which she wrote up or typed up, and it took her two full days to do so. This is what she wrote. God has blessed me throughout this ordeal. I am so thankful, too, that I can type with one finger and can feed myself. I have a word chart on the tray of my wheelchair. I can communicate using that. All of these things a normal person takes for granted. I'm very thankful to God I can do these things. Thank you, God, for life and glorifying your name with my experience. Give me strength and courage so that I will glorify your name. I am very thankful that in eternity we will have new bodies and well bodies. In the name of Jesus, we have this promise of eternal life. Amen. Do you notice how many times she referred to being thankful? You know, when I read this, I was undone. When I thought of her situation and the situation of some people that I know, that it's some that attend our church, it just broke me. For you see, I can't remember the last time I thanked the Lord for the ability to talk. I mean, when was the last time we thanked the Lord for our ability to communicate? When was the last time we thanked the Lord for our ability to move around? to feed ourselves, to bathe ourselves, to get dressed and to walk? When was the last time we thanked our Lord for our eardrums and the ability to hear and enjoy music and to express our worship to God through song? When was the last time we thanked God for our eyes and the magnificent color-filled world that he created just for us? When was the last time we thanked God for our health and our strength? There's a woman here last night in a wheelchair. I chatted with her after the service. Her situation is not unlike Ardell's. <coughs> and we talked a little while. And she says, you know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for my kidneys. When was the last time we thanked God for our kidneys? When was the last time we thanked God for our clothes, for our shoes? For hot water, for running water? For electricity? A warm home? 
See, all of this brings perspective, doesn't it? Give us today our daily bread. Brad says if Ardell can keep her perspective, if she can stay strong, if she can remain thankful despite her circumstances, if she can continue to depend on God for her daily needs, emotionally, spiritually, and physically, then so can I. And so can we who call Jesus our Lord and King. We can live in daily dependence on our God. Instead of being anxious about tomorrow, about fears and worries that may never come to be, we can simply pray, Lord, today, this is my need. And instead of worrying about tomorrow, we can give praise and thanks to God for meeting our needs today. Thank you, Lord, for my health today. Tomorrow my health may change. Next year my health may change. But thank you for my health and my strength today. Thank you for food today. Thank you, Lord, for my clothes today. George Mueller was an evangelist in the 19th century who felt called of God to start an orphanage and to depend totally on God to provide for the needs of that orphanage without ever asking people for help. By the end of his life, his orphanage had cared for over 10,000 orphans. And I'm told the orphanage is still there in Bristol, England. One morning, Mueller was there with the children and there was... No food at all for the kids. I mean, they were standing around their tables. Their plates were there along with the cups and the knives and the forks, but there was no food. Mueller stood up, and he prayed with the children. He prayed, Dear Father, we thank you for what you're going to give us to eat. It was a simple prayer of faith. One he'd prayed often, a prayer not unlike the one that Jesus taught us to pray. Lord, give us today our daily bread. When he said amen at the end of his prayer, a knock came at the door. When he opened the door, there was the local town baker. The baker said, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt you didn't have bread for breakfast. And so I got up at 2 o'clock in the morning and I baked some bread for you and the children. And here it is. Mueller thanked the baker and he praised God for his care. He said, children, we not only have bread today, but we have fresh bread. And then there was another knock at the door. This time it was the milkman who announced that his cart had broken down right outside of the orphanage. He wondered whether he could give the children the cans of fresh milk so he could empty his wagon in order to get it repaired. And if you've read Mueller's story, you know that this was just one of the many times God provided for the needs of that orphanage in a miraculous way.
in response to his prayer, Father, give us today our daily bread. Friends, make no mistake, our God cares for us like this. What did Jesus say in Matthew 7, 9? He said, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? That's the heart of our having our loving Heavenly Father. In the days and the months to come, I want to challenge us all with something. And that is that we would get in the habit of praying the Lord's Prayer as a guide to our praying. When you pray our Father, Stop right there and just thank him for being your papa. Thank him for his provision in your life. When you pray, your kingdom come, and while you're praying that day, maybe you're thinking about a broken marriage. Maybe it's your marriage. Or you're thinking about a broken family. Or maybe you're thinking about the atrocities committed against humanity in a different part of the world that you read about the day before. Stop there. And pray, oh Jesus, may your kingdom come. Please come into my marriage. Please come into my life. Please come into this broken family. Please come to our planet. And when you come to that line that says, give us today our daily bread, and you've been struggling with anxiety about something, Stop right there in your prayer and tell him about your anxiety. Just tell him about the fear that you're wrestling with. Submit yourself to him anew and thank him for, the, for his faithfulness in the past. And then leave your concern with him. Would you please stand for closing prayer? Just invite you to open your hands again. And then just ask the Lord these two questions, Lord. What are you saying to me as a result of our time together here today? What are you saying to me? And the second question is, Lord, what do you want me to do about what you're saying to me? 
Just take a moment right now. join me in praying the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God be with you. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.